Greg, good morning. Now, what, what Nathan doesn't know is the discussion last week around my beard. He, doesn't, he wasn't here for that. So the beard is not coming back. If you are here last week, the beard is not coming back. Repeat after me, the beard and no, is not, not coming back. <laughs> no, it's not. Hey, it's great you're here. If this is your very first time, we really do welcome you. Um, we've got a hosting team. They'll look after you straight after the service. And uh, we do that in the foyer. There's a, a lounge there. And if you have any questions about anything that we do, any of our ministries, like our children's or our, our youth ministry, they will answer your questions. If you're looking to connect and get into a small group, they'll look after you as well. So please make sure you, you stick around and get to know someone. And also our senior pastor, Charles, is actually um, at our East Campus. So that's why we have Nathan and Chanel here with us this morning. Charles has been very busy this weekend. He's been in uh, Canberra um, and Wollongong. Um, speaking at some youth events, some very large youth events uh, for our movement. And uh, I'm, I had a conversation with him early this morning. He drove from Canberra to Wollongong last night, got there at 1am. Then he had to get up at 4am this morning. So he only had three hours. Uh, go to Sydney to get the flight to come back to Melbourne this morning. So let's hope that his preaching at our East Campus is intelligible, understandable, uh, he's a really great guy, and, and the Lord's really using him. I mean, our church really has influence far and beyond um, just uh, our two local campuses. So we're also in a network of five other churches. One of them is in Singapore, you know, Bendigo, Alexandra. Um, there's a lot going on in the life of our church. So if you don't know me, my name's Greg. I'm on the team here. And um, given it's our mission summit, so we're going to do it this week and next week. So as you heard next week, um, Vincent... Um, is coming from Youth Alive Italy. Had a conversation with him last night. He's doing really well. He's very much looking forward to being with us again this year. Um, when he's here, don't call him Vincenzo. He doesn't like it. Um, I called him that. Sue and I were over there earlier this year um, actually running some um, marriage material with a number of his team. He's got five different teams spread throughout the country of Italy. And um, he, he's, very, he's, actually, he, he's actually British. So he was born in England. Um, but for the last 15, 16 years, he's lived in Italy, um, starting and founding and directing Youth Alive. Um, but uh, uh, the local Italians call him Vincenzo because that's the proper pronunciation in Italian. But he likes Vincent. So make sure you give Vincent a big hug next week. Uh, he's, he's definitely keen to be with us. Um, so look, I'm involved in our mission stuff. I'm helping to lead and develop it. So really what I want to do today is two things. I want to talk a little bit about what's been happening behind the scenes around our missions um, developments and structures because we've been doing quite a bit of work um, which I'm going to update you on that but I'm also going to share a little bit around God's word in some of the principles around you know when we think of the word missions what do we actually mean so um, we're not in terms of when I use the word missions today I'm going to talk about our cross-cultural ministry so things that we're doing overseas um, and um, also some initiatives we're thinking of doing um, within Australia. But really, this is when we get out of our own culture, out of our own sort of normal society, our language, our customs, and cross into another culture to actually minister to people that God has there. And so it's not always overseas, but a lot of it is um, when you do travel. It can be right here with people who are immigrating from other countries. It can be within our indigenous populations. So just, you know, when I'm using it today, the word missions... Um, I'm talking about our cross-cultural stuff. So what, what we do in terms of outreach locally is incredible. So through the Hope Centre, um, of course, um, we're doing a number of different ministries through that. You know, we have a counselling centre there. Um, Irene's doing an incredible job with a women's uh, centre there as well. And even at uh, our East Campus, they have a uh, food pantry they run. Um, we do a similar thing here called One Box on a Friday, giving out food to needy families so we, we do a lot of things locally and in my mind everything's missions but uh, the problem is often the way we think of the word missions gets it probably has been sort of loaded around the history and the use of that word in Christian language and culture so I want to try and challenge some of that today because really here's the here's one of the key things we have to think about is what on earth has missions got to do with me 
I don't know if you've ever thought that. When someone starts to talk about missions, you think to yourself, what has it got to do with me? Or uh, I'll subtitle it, thank God the Lord's not sending me to some strange country. Right? Is that not right? That's what most of us think, right? Now, I used to think that. So for those of you who don't know me, um, I've done, you know, Sue and I and our families have done quite a bit of cross-cultural ministry in various countries over the years. But I never used to be like that. I used to think, why would God prompt me to go to Africa? There's plenty of other great candidates that can do it better than I can, right? And so when someone would come to church and talk around missions or we'd have a missionary come and share, often I think there's like a disconnect in our minds that it has nothing to do with me. And so, you know, really if I just contribute financially and maybe occasionally pray for what's happening in terms of our missions activities, I've done my part. You know, that's what I used to think. I think I've done my bit for missions. And so there's like this, I think for many Christians who have not ever participated in cross-cultural ministry or have been mobilized to engage with what God is doing outside of our own local suburbs and cities, then we sort of feel there's, it's, not, it's got nothing to do with me. We'll sit there and think, well, missions has got nothing to do with me. I'm not involved in that. Well, I want to challenge a little bit about that out of um, uh, 2 Corinthians today, and um, then I'll give you an update in terms of what's been happening with our missions and where we believe it's going to go in the future. Well, let's pray, shall we, before we move on. Why don't you just close your eyes, and we're going to ask our God to speak to us. Father, every single person here has a relationship with you, and we need to hear your voice today. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you penetrate our thinking, transform our hearts, that we actually take on the word that you want to speak to us into our very personal, individual lives, but also for us as a community of believers here in Melbourne. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to 2 Corinthians, and we're going to read a, just a chunk, small chunk of, of sort of conversation between Paul, um, the apostle, and the church at Corinth. So that's where the book gets its name from, Corinthians in the city of Corinth. And so this church that was in Corinth was actually sort of planted by Paul. And we're going to pick up a little bit of a story where a, young, a younger man than Paul who's actually been helping to pastor and lead and minister in the church at Corinth. His name's Titus. So Titus has actually come back to visit Paul. There's been a whole lot of stuff going on between Paul and the church at Corinth. So if you read the first letter of Corinthians, you're aware that there's a number of dysfunctional behaviours and issues that are going on that Paul has to address very firmly. He's quite direct. Um, in a loving way, but really trying to correct some of their faulty thinking and certainly their dysfunctional behaviour and how they treat each other, even around, say, the Lord's table and a number of other things that are happening there. So we're picking it up after that first letter has been written. Paul's actually, I think, been in jail as well for a while um, because of his preaching of the gospel. And now the church at Corinth that have been really planted by Paul and corrected by Paul send Titus because Paul has been struggling himself. And so they send this young pastor back to Paul to actually encourage and strengthen Paul. Now, it's interesting if you do any study around the relationship between Titus and Paul is we're given really through the, between the book of Acts and through all of Paul's epistles, we're given a really a 20-year period of their relationship, Titus and Paul. And so effectively, the way they met is Paul goes to Corinth and he starts preaching the gospel in a Jewish synagogue. That was really his strategy. Every time he went somewhere, being a Jewish rabbi himself, he would actually start in every city that he visited by going to the Jewish synagogue and explaining to them that the Messiah that they've been waiting for is Jesus Christ. But Paul's heart and actually his call from God was specifically to reach to the Gentiles. So he had a real heart for Romans and for Greeks, people who knew nothing about Yahweh, 
who weren't waiting for a Messiah, worshipped a stack of other different gods, many gods, particularly in the Greek culture, in the Roman culture. And so even though he would start with Jewish believers, Orthodox Jews as we would understand it today, to tell them about the Messiah who is the Christ, his real heart was to try and reach the Gentiles who had never even considered Yahweh because they had many other gods to choose from. And so effectively what happened was Paul goes to Corinth, he starts with the Jewish synagogue there, and has this for an incredible story, you can read it in the book of Acts, is next door to the synagogue that Paul spends probably about three months, most theologians believe, he's spending three months preaching and teaching the Jews who Jesus is. But the guy that lives next door to the synagogue is Titus. And Paul, because he's quite keen to reach people who are not Jews, he actually asks if he can use Titus's home to effectively plant a church. He didn't use that word or that language as we use it today, but he starts actually preaching and teaching in Titus's home. And Titus, who actually is looking for God, he wants to know who is the right God, actually starts following Jesus because of the preaching of Paul in his house. Then what happens is Paul goes to Ephesus. So that's where we get the book of Ephesians from. Paul takes Titus with him. So they travel together. So Titus is obviously um, someone that Paul wants to develop and believes that God's called him to do some ministry himself, even though he's a younger man than Paul. And he's not rabbi trained, he's Jew. So actually, if you read the first part of um, Galatians, Paul's, the first sort of reference Paul makes to Titus, this will probably make you laugh, is to prove to Jews who wanted to force non-Jewish believers to be circumcised that that's actually not part of the new covenant we have through Christ. And he uses Titus as the living example. It's hilarious. Well, I thought it was funny anyway. Can you imagine you being that living example that someone gets up and says, now hang on a minute, fellas. We don't have to circumcise the boys anymore. Here's Titus. He's a Greek man. He loves Jesus. He's never been circumcised. That's the evidence. It's hilarious. Read the first part of uh, Galatians. So he's, he's like this, he's, he's obviously, Titus has got a big heart for what God wants to do around, around the known world. And so he's actually traveling with Paul. He goes to the Jerusalem Council that has this debate about circumcision amongst other things, um, amongst the early church leaders with the apostles. And Titus goes with Paul. Um, he's gone to Ephesus to help, this, to help grow and continue to strengthen the church there. And later on in life, he actually travels again with Paul and ends up in the island of Crete. And Paul preaches there but leaves Titus there to actually plant and run that church in Crete. So this is, this is quite a long relationship that they have together. So I want you to know that before we pick up what we're about to read, because it gives some context. So we're picking it up sort of in the middle of this 20-year history between these two men. And Paul finds himself um, in Macedonia um, and is actually been under quite a bit of opposition and threat. And so the Corinthian church say to Titus, who's one of their leaders, go and encourage him. That's what we're picking up. So let's read it together. So it'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but always I encourage you if you want to highlight or make notes in your own Bible, um, because then you'll remember things a little bit easier. So we're going to read from 2 Corinthians 7, chapter chapter 7, verse 2. So again, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says this, Make room for us in your hearts. Actually, if you've got your own translation there, can you underline that? Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We've exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I've said before that you have such a place in our hearts. So he's repeated the same idea. Make room for us in your hearts. You have a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, and we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. 
But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Make room for us in your hearts. As I was studying this whole sort of relationship between Titus and Paul, that phrase really stood out to me. And in actual fact, I was thinking of my own life and how God at times has prompted me to make room in my heart for something I have no interest in. In fact, it brings up my fears. It might be something that I want to give no time to or no investment to. It could be a person. It could be a thing. It could be a, a ministry expression. It could be, you know, your neighbours. It could be someone across the world. So like with um, James and Rebecca in Vanuatu right now, they're over there. But I have no interest in that. And sometimes God prompts me, convicts me, directs me to say, make room in your heart for that thing, for that person. So here's, here's what I think of my own journey in my relationship with God and particularly with the cross-cultural ministries that I've ended up doing is the problem actually is my heart is filled with other things. I've already made either by choice or just the way it's developed, I've made ungodly commitments with my heart. My heart actually has stuff in there that disrupts my relationship with God or is negative with my relationship with God. It's as if my heart only takes so much space or so much stuff can get in there. And that's why I think Paul... Now, Paul's got a little bit of an antagonistic relationship with this church because he's had to correct them. And that's why he says to them in this second letter, make room for us in your heart. So when you think of when Scott and Rachel were here in March this year, we've made room in our hearts as a church for them. So we not only financially support them, but we pray for them, we encourage them, We've been to visit them. Some of us have been over there to visit them. We've made room in our hearts for them. But I remember the first time God convicted me to go into Africa. I was really scared. I had no idea. I'd never really traveled before. I had, and this is usually the reason most Christians use, I can't afford it. I have no money. And uh, Sue and I, at that stage in our lives, we had three young children we were living on, we had to raise our own financial income as people working in a ministry here in Melbourne. So we didn't get paid directly. We had to find our own supporters to look after us. Um, I used to come home at the end of each week and Sue would say to me, Did you, do we get any money coming in to pay our bills? And my answer would be uh, no. And we had three, three kids. At that same time, through a series of circumstances, God says to me, I want you to go to Kenya. And I was a bit like Gideon. Have you got the right address, God? Are you sure you're talking to the right person? I, I don't want to go to Africa. I've never been there. Why would I want to go there? In fact, what would I do there? Who, you know, like, we have, you ever had those arguments with God? We have this discussion with God about, really, it's a reflection of what's in our hearts. That's what it is. And here's what I've learned about my journey with God, is often... He wants us to pick up what's in his heart and place it in our heart. It, it's always heart to heart. God's more interested in our heart than our arguments in our head, our physical or natural abilities, whether we think we can or can't do it, or whether we've got the right person. It's more about our heart. So what I've had to learn to do is actually jettison, remove things out of my heart that actually have no bearing on what God is asking me to do with my life. It's not easy though, is it? Has God ever asked you to remove something from your heart? It may, and it may be legitimate. They're not always destructive to our relationship with God. But God wants us to do something new or different. God has a plan. Here's, here's one thing I'm going to show you in a minute. God has a plan not just for where he's sending us to do something. So like we often think 
that stuff that we do in a cross-cultural setting is about the people we're going to. But in actual fact, God has a double plan. He's going to take us somewhere that's out of our comfort zone to help other people, but he's taking you and me there because he has a plan to transform us. But the journey is more important than whatever we do for other people. Our journey, because it changes what's in our heart. Have we made room in our hearts for what God wants us to put there? Or do we hang on to the things that we think are important? I mean, Samuel, uh, Samuel, sorry about that, Nathan. Nathan already mentioned, you know, like Netflix or, because when you think about what's in your heart, just you can look at your budget, what you spend your money on, what you spend your time on, right? You, you You just examine your life and what we actually do with every resource we have shows what's already in our heart. And then God taps us on the shoulder and says, Greg, I want you to make room in your heart for this. And it's challenging because I have to remove stuff out of my heart to make room for that. And I'm eno- sometimes I'm emotionally attached to the stuff I've got in my heart. And God says, well, I want you to let that go and now I want you to do this. Because he's trying to do something in me, not just about what I do for other people. So my prayer for us this morning all of us, myself included, is that you make room in your hearts for what God wants you to do as an individual before him, but also we as a collective before God make room for what he's asking us to do in terms of cross-cultural ministry. Thanks, Peter. Amen. It's not easy though, is it? When you have to let go. So when, I, when I think, when I look around who's here this morning, so I can see Irene over there. Um, of course, Irene's done some cross-cultural ministry over the years, but I know Irene had to let go of stuff to do that. Um, Nathan and Chanel, they've done cross-cultural ministry. They've had to let go of stuff to do that. Um, who else is in the room here? I know John's over there, John Santo. He's, he's done many cross-cultural mission expressions. He had to let stuff go to do that. But you know what? We're all the same. Because it's not about where we end up, it's about the journey God got, has us on. This is not about, missions isn't geographical. Missions, we're all missionaries sent by God into the world. It doesn't matter where I am. It's about the journey God's got me on. So what has missions got to do with me? Well, everything, because everything is missions. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing I want you to, to note down. Missions is everything I do. Every godly act, so even me ministering to you this morning, to use an English word that the Christians have sort of adapted, is missions. You sharing your faith with somebody at work this week is missions. Inviting your neighbour to come to Alpha on Tuesday night is missions. Everything that I do, if I if I do some practical support, uh, I was at Bunnings yesterday and there was a group of uh, um, teenagers there raising funds for a project they're doing in Guatemala and um, I gave them, you know, they were doing, selling some food some baked goods they did I went back and gave them some more money just not for the food but just for what they were doing that act was missions did I mention Jesus? No so every godly act I do towards other people whether I'm right here at home or I'm in some foreign culture is missions work it's not a separation because i'm not you know i'm not sort of i'm not going to some foreign exotic strange location which is often what we think it is the trouble with the word mission is it's development so effectively the way the word developed is in the early church um, when latin was a common language that was used particularly in parts of europe they were translating a word for sent so like in John 17, verse 18, Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father sent me into the world, I am sending you into the world. So as some of the translations were done into Latin, the common Latin phrase for sent is missio, M-I-S-S-I-O. And so it sort of stuck because of that translation. So it just simply means sent. 
someone who's being sent. Um, when, when you think about it, when you're sent by someone else, you're there to do their bidding and to do the job they send you to do. It has a sort of idea behind it. So again, when Jesus says, as the Father sent me into the world, I'm sending you into the world, we are all sent by God into the world. It's got nothing to do with me going to Kenya. I'm also sent by God into the world in Bandura, right? Now, but the problem is, of course, historically, the church cultures that have developed have used the word missions in a way only to refer to those unusual people who were sent by God to Kenya, right? Or to China, or, you know, all those places. Well, I couldn't go. We don't want to go. Missions has got nothing to do with me. And so, unfortunately, we've got this false sort of separation between the biblical idea of missions, God's actually idea of being sent. We're all sent by God into the world. We're all sent by Jesus into the world. Whenever I'm in the world, I'm sent by God to do His work, His way, His will. It's got nothing to do with me getting on a plane and going to Vanuatu. It could involve that. But if it doesn't involve that for me, I'm still God's missionary. That's actually the biblical understanding of the idea of missions. But, you know, the first thing that comes into most of our heads when we think of missions is, thank God it's not me getting on that plane going into the jungles of Guatemala, right? But that's the wrong idea. That's totally unbiblical. In fact, you don't even find the word mission in Scripture. The only place it appears is as an editorial heading put there by publishers. So you'll see it in Acts, Paul's first missionary journey. But it's not actually in the biblical text because from God's point of view, we're all sent by Him wherever we are, whenever we are. It has nothing to do with geographical distance or a strange place that we've never been to before. So here's the second thing, number two. Missions is everywhere I am. It's everywhere I am. It doesn't matter where I am. It could be across the world or it could be across the road. So when you leave here this morning after our, our church services is concluded and you walk out those, either the front door or the back door, I was going to say the front door, but some of you go out the back door, you are on mission. Whether you go home, go out for lunch, go and do some shopping, when you go to work tomorrow or you go to university or to school tomorrow or you're dropping the kids at school at the front gate, you are sent by God into that environment. That's God's understanding of mission. So it, it, it happens everywhere I am. Wherever I am, I'm there sent by God. So put it this way, if you're a follower of Jesus, you cannot be anywhere in his world and not be on his mission. That, that's the biblical, that's the godly view of mission. And let's face it, we're always in the world, right? We live in the world. God loves the world. That's why he sent his only son. And so we are sent by God into the world to represent him and to show his love, bring his kingdom, demonstrate his goodness. That's why we are in the world. We're not trying to avoid the world. We're not trying to exclude ourselves from the world. That's not God's strategy. He sends us into the world. We are all missionaries wherever we are. It's not geographically. It's not exclusively. That definition of mission or missionary is not exclusively reserved for people who go to strange countries that we're trying to avoid because we're all sent by God into his world. So whether it's across your road, next to your neighbor, whether you get to your car and end up at work tomorrow, we're all sent by God into his world. Here's the third thing I want you to know. Missions is always about ministry to people. So it's a little bit what I said before. When, whenever I minister, I can minister to someone's practical need. I could minister to their spiritual need. But whenever I actually show an act of godly love and sacrificially engage with what God has prompted me to do in that moment, I'm on missions. That is missions because I'm a gift to the world. When the Holy Spirit is working through me and utilizing everything that I have 
to help somebody else who either doesn't know Jesus, has a practical need, what, what, whatever you want to list, it's all we're sent by God to represent Him. That's missions. So missions is about ministering to other people. It's not so much just about us all the time, but we are a gift to them by God in that moment because we can bring love, healing, truth, help. We, are, we represent the very God that we serve and declare who is our saviour. And as we do that, we are ministering to other people's needs. So here's the thing. God doesn't send money into the world. He doesn't send a skill into the world. He sends people. Jesus said to the disciples, as the Father sends me, I'm sending you. And that's why, we you know, one of the strange things around the way it's evolved in particularly Western cultures in missions, say giving, is sometimes I've, I've sat there and I've thought, well, if I give, you know, $500 this year or $1,000 to the cross-cultural ministry endeavours that are happening, I've done my part for missions. But God's not actually, that doesn't let me off the hook. That doesn't deny my responsibility that God wants to utilise me as his gift to other people. And, you know, most of us can afford to give something, which we should, we should engage with God financially in what he wants us to give. But it goes far beyond that because God's trying to mobilise and get me to participate in what he's doing with my neighbour, with my work colleagues, or with what's happening in Vanuatu. Whatever God prompts me to be involved with and connect with, that is me being faithful as his gift to the world. Right? God doesn't send objects and finances. He sends people. Now, it takes finances to send people, but that's just the vehicle in which we can get help and minister into the needs, whether it's indigenous communities, other countries, whether it's immigrants here, whether it's handing out food parcels on a Friday in this building. Whatever we're doing, it's not just the object, it's the people who are doing it. We're the gift to the world. So mission actually takes many forms, but it takes us to actively be mobilised and participate. Here's the fourth thing. Missions matures me. It's not just about being the gift to the world. It transforms me from the inside. So I remember the very first time I went into a slum in Kenya. I was overwhelmed. I'd never, you know, I, th I used to, I used to think I was poor. So as a child, you know, I can tell you my sob story. You all feel sorry for me. I you know, didn't know my father. We had no money. Often go to bed with no food. We didn't have enough clothes in our house. That's here in Melbourne. But then when I went into a slum for the first time, it, it totally, God did something in me. Because again, God wasn't just taking me into the slum to help those poor people over there. Because that's often how we speak. God's already got people there doing his kingdom work amongst the, their own people. So often God, what God's doing, we think we're going as the great white hope. Well, we're not. We're usually the great white hopeless. Um, particularly on our first couple of times cross-cultural, you know, doing cross-cultural stuff, we, we do all faux pas and make mistakes. So why is God sending us there? Well, it's not just for them, it's for you. That's why God sent me. He changed me. It transformed me. Um, and I, what I'm about to say, this is honest, and it's something that, that I'm not just saying it this morning, I've said it many times over the years, even in private conversations with individuals, is... Every time I've crossed a culture and done something out of my comfort zone, full of fear, not sure why God wants me to do it, don't think I can do it, every time I've learned far much more myself than I've ever given to somebody else. Every time. Because God's, God's got two agendas running at the same time. You're a gift and you can go and help those people. Absolutely, whether it's across the road or across the world. But also, God's taking you across the road or across the world because you need to change. And often the way God grabs our attention or makes room in our hearts for what he wants us to do is by taking us to a place where we feel totally incompetent, <laughs> um, not sure what we're doing, but we're the gift. 
It's a two-way street. And so missions does more in us, that's what I've found, like cross a culture and do some form of ministry or outreach or practical help. It transforms me because God has got his finger on my heart and it changes me, it's Nathan said, from the inside out. So missions is not just about other, other people or projects or, you know, let's say we raise this amount of money or we, we accomplish these things in a year. This, this is more about mobilising us because it transforms us. That's what it does. It changes me. God takes me on a journey. It's not about the destination. It's more about the journey. So let me give you a little update on what's been happening since last September. So each year we, we do this in September. We do two weeks where we focus on some cross-cultural activities that our church is involved in. And... Over probably the last five, six years of the history of our church, and our church is around 60 years old and um, has done many different things cross-culturally over the years and done it very well. Both um, this campus here and our East Campus in Box Hill also has a very long history in cross-cultural ministry in different parts of the world and different uh, families involved. But... Probably the last five years, we've been quite embryonic in keeping our cross-cultural ministry a little bit sort of just not under wraps, but just careful that we don't push ourselves to engage with too many things. So since our last mission summit um, in September last year, we've done a couple of things, um, which many of you haven't heard about yet. So I just want to give you an update. One of them is we formed a team, a missions team. And that mission team has been meeting all year and been working pretty hard. We've done a number of things. We've actually um, contacted all the previous pastors and leaders of both our congregations and asked them about the history of the cross-cultural ministry in the, in the, in the whole life of that church. And so um, we heard back from a number of different leaders um, around what the church has been doing. And then from that, we developed some values that we think will drive our mission further. Now, on that missions team, um, we have Nathan and Chanel. So you saw Nathan this morning, and um, Chanel's here in the front as well. And, of course, they've got much experience in missions collectively um, for various reasons. But certainly with Nathan, I can tell you um, that he's really a missiologist um, and has a BA in missions and is halfway through your master's. Um, and done a number of mission trips, and Chanel's looked on the mission field herself. Um, Jackie Harvey, so give us a wave, Jackie. Jackie's over there. Jackie's on our missions team as well. He's actually done cross-cultural ministry in a number of different contexts and countries over the years. And, of course, James and Rebecca are on that team also, who are currently in Vanuatu. So they're, like, developing their missions um, commitment and strategy. They feel that God's asked them, as they're both school teachers, to help the school in a little village just outside Port Villa called Black Sands. And they really have a long-term commitment of going every year. Um, in fact, James this morning is ministering and preaching in the local church there. Um, and so I've been talking to, to them over the week. And uh, they're also, this week they've been developing some stuff that they're going to run through with the teachers of the local school. Their real heart is to develop teachers in the school who are not professionally trained. And so that's, that's something that's developed in terms of our missions team. Now, here's the thing about our missions team, with Sue's on as well. Sue has much mission experience because I've dragged her to every corner of the world uh, over many years. But here's, here's what we've been doing. We're not a missions committee. Right? We're not going to make decisions on the different things that we support or get involved with or the projects we do cross-culturally. Um, what we're focused on is you. Our focus in the future is going to be to mobilise you to participate in what God's asked you to do. So that's our focus. It's very different. So, you know, I'm, not a, I'm personally not a great fan of mission committees um, for various reasons. If you want to have a conversation with me about that, come and chat to me. I'm quite happy to talk about it. But this is not, you know, our leadership will make decisions around what we put our hands to and we have come up with some values that will help direct that. But we as a missions team are more interested in both of our congregations participating cross-culturally. If God prompts you, for instance, to 
connect with an Indigenous venture, then we'll help you do that. Or if God prompts you or convicts you to go to a different part of the world, we'll, we can help prepare you, walk you through stuff, we'll help you do that. Now, we're still going to, as a church, support some projects. So we're still going to continue to support Vincent and Youth Alive Italy. That He'll be here next week. Uh, we're still going to be uh, involved with the Wellites in the UK who have planted the church. So they've done a few different things over there. Um, but it's going to go beyond that because it's more about what is God doing inside of us. Not what he's doing just in other parts of the world, but what transformational thing is God asking us to make room in our hearts for, collectively and individually. So here's the values we came up with. So you can put up that slide for me. Uh, thanks, Sammy. So our values are, the first one is our heritage and roots. So when we contacted all the previous leaders of our churches, our congregations, um, there were some similar themes running through them all. So one of them is actually this apostolic concept where we go and help develop young leaders grow. Another one that was in our roots and heritage, that was in both campuses, so both um, our east campus but also here. Another thing that we found uh, through the research was involved in different parts of the world has similarities, so the South Pacific, like Vanuatu. So we feel as a missions team there's a connection. The, the original purpose and task that God gave both our churches separately at that time are the same. And now we're together as one church. We don't want to cut those roots off. We want to build and let those roots grow. So that's one of the reasons we are involved in Vanuatu because both our churches historically had an apostolic call to do that. So that's one of our values. Another one is our local strengths. So we don't want to do in other cultures what we don't do well here. Right, so who we are as a local church, who all of us are collective, so your gifts, your, your strengths, your natural talents, your spiritual gifts, the way you express them inside your normal everyday living as a follower of Jesus, and when you're here at Uni Hill Church, we want you to replicate that if you go, whether it's across the street or across the world. So we're going to focus on our strengths. We're not going to do things we don't do well here somewhere else we don't do a good job when we do it. Number three, we have relationship partnerships. So like with Vincent or the Wellards, we feel that God's connected us to a couple of different people, at least at this point in time, where those relationships have a divine meaning. We've connected. We have a very similar vision and values in how ministry is done. So for example, one of the things we do naturally here as a church is we develop young leaders, young adult leaders. And we're focused, we're intentional around it. And so, for instance, when we met Scott and Rachel Wellard, and then when we connected with Vincent in Italy, they had the same natural vision, mission, if you like, same DNA. And so for us, that's a bit of an indicator that, again, we can come together and share, again, not just one way, but we learn from them as much as we can help and support what they're doing. The fourth one is you, our people and congregations. So where is God asking you to participate in what he's doing in the world? And we're going to focus on that in the future. We're going to build some things around that. We also added Indigenous Australians. So currently we weren't really involved in anything specifically. And I'm about to tell you one of the things we're exploring and at least committing to for the next 12 months that will start that rolling. But we feel as a church and so our elders as well, um, our leadership and Pastor Charles, that we should have an Indigenous expression as part of our local cross-cultural ministry. And the final one is unreached people groups. Um, we feel it's important to engage with what other Christians are doing in different parts of the world, but there are many people who still have never actually heard the message of the gospel. And so we don't want to just be safe and comfortable in only ministering to other Christians. That's important, and we will do that but we also want to help the spread of the gospel into people groups that have never actually heard it for the first time. So here's what we're going to do. Go to the next slide. Thanks, Sam. We're exploring a future strategy. So really, the missions teams have spent the year talking about our history, researching it, out of that, developing some values. That took quite some time to sort of 
reduce it all down to where we feel we should, what we should be, what should drive our cross-cultural endeavours, rather than just opportunities, because there's thousands of opportunities to be involved in so many different things, and all of those opportunities are valid, but are they what God is asking us as a local congregation to do? That's actually the better question. And so that's why we thought, well, let's, let's come up with some values that will help us define where we go in the future. So our next sort of step, we haven't got there yet, but we're on the, the precipice of looking at developing a strategy as a missions team. And so what we will actually be doing. And so we've got a couple of things. So we're still going to continue to support the Wellards, Youth Alive, um, Black Sands. I've got Black Sands up there. We want to explore that further and develop that into an ongoing strategy. So almost like a transformational plan that could run five or ten years for that school in Black Sands. And Jimmy and Rebecca are there right at the moment. And we're also interested in, with our Indigenous values, is Music Give Life is a ministry where one of our congregation members has helped start and that's been running both in Africa and also in Outback Australia, where instruments and mentoring and coaching of patients, using music as a way to actually have some input into um, specifically young Indigenous lives. And so we are looking at making that part of our long-term strategy, and so we're going to commit at least for the next 12 months to that. Um, Kingdom Mission International, we, Sue and I actually have known this fellow for like 40 years or so, fact, he used to be the youth leader when I was a, you know, a teenager, when I was 15. And he's actually seven years ago went and started a uh, church planting group right on the border of Myanmar and Laos, down the Golden Triangle. It's just inside Thailand. And uh, we, we have seen in the last couple of years, he's actually gone to our national conference for our movement. And so our previous national leader, Timothy Jack, is on his board and so I just felt God prompt me that because I already knew him, we sort of reconnected pretty well, and then our movement has sort of is helping him a little bit. But and then at the same time, we as admissions team were doing this development around our values, and an unreached people group. You know, there are something like over 500 people groups in Myanmar, um, different languages, different tribal groups, and so what he's been doing for the last seven years is um, people come out of Myanmar into Thailand and he's been training them how to actually run and plant a church while they still um, obviously work. And he's got further vision of actually developing like a community hub so to teach things like some farming, like fish farming, and some sort of practical skills so they, they can't get paid by the local church members, obviously. Um, and so we're going to go and investigate and look at that project ourselves in November. I'm going there for about four days and we're going to see it firsthand, have some more discussion around it, around what he's doing, see how it works. But in terms of investigating, is God calling us to be involved in again reaching unreached people groups uh, through that ministry? And so the Lord's doing some amazing things with us. I don't know if you, you see it that way, but for me it's we are growing. So you may you may not think we have done a lot in missions most of it's been behind the scenes to set it up for our future and laying proper foundations that will drive us in the right direction according to the apostolic calling God's put on us as a church. So I'm going to hand back to Nathan in just one minute. Let me just tell you in terms of our missions giving, what we've been doing over the last three years as a church, how much have we given? So Sam, can you go to the next slide for me, please? So you can see in 2000, these, are, these, these dates, by the way, are not um, year. They're basically from... The September beforehand until uh, August of that year. So 2017 is from, from September 2016 to August 2017. Our missions budget here at Union Hill runs from September to the following August. So that's how it works. But you can see the previous two sort of two years, we had effectively financially given almost the same amount of money, but that's because we'd never done faith promise giving before. So even though we've been supporting the Wellards, Youth Alive with Vincent and a few other projects, so we supported a project in Cambodia for a few years, but we've done some other things as well. But when we went to Faith Promise Commitment last year for the very first time as a church, you can see we nearly doubled what was given. And in fact, every um, the commitments that were made this time last year 
worth $25,000. And you can see we've actually received just over that amount. And every single dollar, every cent has gone specifically to those cross-cultural ministries. So we don't, you know, we don't have all this money in the bank or we're not hoarding it. It actually goes towards the things that we're committed to. But that's incredible how through asking God, what does he want me to commit to this year? It's not just looking at your budget. It's actually saying, okay, God, if, I, if you would put money through my hands and I would actually pass it on, what do you want me to commit? And that's what we did for the first time this year. You know, we're going about to do it again. But before we do that, um, James and Rebecca sent me a short video. Um, so just have a look at the screens here and I'll hand back to Nathan. But they're doing very, very well. Remember to pray for them. Um, they're there for another couple of weeks in Vanuatu. Thanks, uh, Sammy. Show the video. Vanuatu. We are off to a really good start here. We're settling into life here in um, Vanuatu. We've been welcomed into the church family by Pastor Zebedee and his team. And we've met with the teachers and they've uh, told us their vision for the school and uh, some of the ways that we can help them develop, particularly youth literacy. We've also been down to the school and um, checked out a bit what's going on there so far. Uh, obviously lots of needs and areas that can be worked on so we're just looking for God to really show us those particular few key areas that we can uh, help them with on this particular trip. So please continue to pray for us while we're here and we look forward to touching base with you guys when we're back home. See ya! Bye! What a privilege it is to join with what God is doing in the world, in our community. What a privilege it is to see what is happening around the world and in our community through members of our church. God is at work, amen. God is at work. And do you know what? It's a privilege for us to be able to join with the people who are going long distances to share the gospel, to do the work of mission, who are doing work of mission in our community and in the communities around Australia as well. In every uh, pocket of the chair in front of every person, there's this card here. It's on the front, it says, hands up and hands out. You know, we talk about that in a way that we just refer to its spiritual context. When we have our hands up and we receive from God spiritually, we put our hands out and give people the spiritual things that we've received but you know what? God has given us so much everything we have all of our treasures all of our finance that is a gift from God and what we receive from God we have the opportunity to put our hands out with it whether it's spiritual whether it's financial whether it's a gifting that God has put in us we've received it from God and our opportunity, the thing that God gives us the opportunity to do is put our hands out. In 2 Corinthians, following on from chapter 7, in chapter 8, the Apostle Paul writes this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a severe trial, from their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, it welled up into rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people as we give to God, we are sharing in a privilege. It's a privilege to give to the work God is doing in the world. Amen. So in this card, it opens up and you've got three panels. You can give in the middle panel. It's there ways you can give. That's if you want to give a one-off gift. You now you can choose to give a once-off gift, or you can pledge to give a amount every week or 
fortnight or month. What an amazing thing to do because we might not be able to give a large amount today, but we may be able to give a smaller amount over a longer period of time. Now, we're not going to deduct your account. We're not going to set up uh, a uh, credit card deduction on your behalf. This is a, a pledge that you make and that you need to, to keep on your own. It's not uh, a, a World Vision style deduction. Um, this is something that you're pledging to keep. And to this morning, we have the opportunity to make that decision. What is it that we can give? What am I privileged to give to the work God is doing in the world? So we're going to stand. We're going to sing just for a moment. And as we sing, we're wanting people to talk with their families, talk with the people that are around them that help make their decisions around finances. And take that and write in this brochure here what you plan or pledge to give to what God is doing. Now, you might not be able to make that decision today. That's all right. Take this home. Talk about it some more with your family and make that decision and bring it back next week. That is perfectly fine. But let's stand together. Let's sing and worship our God. And as we do that, let's listen to what God is saying to us. What is it that God wants us to give this morning? side of every uh, row there's the buckets there now if you're ready and if you uh, feel led today to give we'd love it if you could grab that faith promise card and you filled in and pass it uh, pass the buckets at the end of the row into that this is significant guys it's an honor it's an honor for us to be able to uh, give to what God is doing in the world. Just as it was an honour uh, for the Macedonians to give into the work that Paul and Titus were doing, it is an amazing opportunity for us to connect with what Jesus Christ is doing in our world. Thank you for your faithful giving. Let's pray as we give. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for what you're doing in the world. You are at work, Lord God. You're at work in us. You're at work through us. You're at work in every nation of the world, Lord God. You haven't ceased to uh, cease to work in the nations of the world. You haven't ceased to work in our nation, Lord God. You are working, Lord Jesus. And we pray that as we give, Lord God, you would bless every, uh, every dollar, Lord God, every cent that, that comes in, Lord God, that it will be effective for your kingdom, Lord Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, we're going to close the service there. How good is God? How good is God? He's at work in this world. He is restoring 
people today. Do you know what? If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know this man who is transforming nations, who is transforming lives all around the world, I'm going to be up the front. I would love to have a conversation with you about who Jesus Christ is and what He can do in your life. He is a good God. Amen. Have a fantastic week.